What's up, friends? I'm Tara P, and you're listening to Positive Perspectives. Well, guys, I hope you're having a great week. It is the first week of April, and I feel like it's already been off to a really good start, at least here in Boise, Idaho. Even early this week, it's been really, really nice here, like in the 60s, the sun's out for most of the day, and I swear that just makes the biggest difference on my overall mood. And then also, I'm still really focusing on just trying to get back into my routine. Last week, I did really good about sticking to my fitness routine. And for those of you who don't know, this year I set a goal to run a 5K. Woo! I know, super crazy. But no, honestly, for me, that is because before that, I would almost pride myself in not being a runner. So I'm still focusing on running three days a week and just eating at home. And just like I said, just trying to get my routine back to normal because I have a feeling this is going to be our new normal for a bit. So I've just been working on kind of just accepting everything and just being okay with the uncertainty. And today I actually saw a Facebook post and it's from Mellow Doodles. And it talks about the things that we can control versus the things that we can't control. So I just wanted to go through that. First off, what I can control. How much news I read or watch. And this one I definitely need the reminder for because I am someone that regardless if something crazy is going on in the world, I always just have the news on in the background. Like it's just what I leave on all day long. Luckily, since there are other people in the house, not everyone is obsessed with the news like me, so we do get to change the channel, and that's not constantly on, but it is definitely still on a lot. Next one is how much time I spend on social media. And I know, well, I guess I hope I'm not the only one who has experienced that notification telling you that your screen time goes up feels like every week. So just know that we can control that and we can put the phone down. Next one is where do I direct my energy? This is something that some people might be focusing on the negative and just with the uncertainty and not knowing when it's going to end. That's one way to look at things. But our energy really could be much better used if we just focus on some of the positives throughout the situation. It really will help your day-to-day mood. The next one is how I speak to and treat others. Through this time, guys, people are losing their jobs. They're stressed out about how they pay their bills. So some people might be a little more on edge. So the least we can do is just focus on what we can control and how we are treating our friends, families, neighbors, strangers, just everyone. Let's just focus on just treating everyone with a little bit more kindness during this time. The next one is how I choose to self-soothe. So whatever that may be for you, if it's calling a friend or family or taking a bubble bath or journaling, whatever it may be that you need to do, you can control that and you can make that decision every single day. Which leads me to the next one, the decision I make. What decision are you going to make with your life, with your day? Are you going to follow your routine? Are you going to watch Netflix all day? It just, you have that decision and just whatever you decide, just own it. How I handle my own feelings. I know this is definitely a crazy time, guys, and it's okay to feel all the feels. But how you handle those and the decisions you make with those is a choice that's totally up to you. And then finally, how I look after myself. So what are you doing during this time to take care of yourself? Like I said, I'm really focusing on keeping up my fitness routine and then also really focusing on eating at home as much as possible. And then a shorter list, but things that you can't control. First one is how other people behave, such as like weird hoarding behaviors with toilet paper. How other people feel. Again, Everyone is going through their own journey and everyone's able to feel the way they feel right now. 
No one has gone through this before. There's no manual that tells you how to feel. So just understand that we can control what we feel, but we can't control what others feel. Next one is others' thoughts or ideas. Whether that's an idea of how they cope with things, what's a smart decision for them, for their family, that's up to them. So let's leave those decisions up to them. And then finally, other people's decisions. What I really noticed was the main difference in this list was what you can't control all is about other people. We cannot control other people. But what you can control, that list all talked about I, I, I. Where I spend time on social media. Where I direct my energy. How I handle my feelings. It's all related about I. So let's really just focus on what we can control this week and try and be as productive as possible with that. So I'm super excited about my guest this week because it just ties in so perfectly to this topic. And that's probably because he was the one that actually talked about this topic. My guest Chris this week talks about how he learned through his life and his experiences how to accept and be okay with uncertainty and kind of what that looked like for him and how his experiences really helped to shape him into the person he is today. So again, super excited about this. Just love when people can come on and be so real and vulnerable. It just blows my mind. So please, you guys, sit back and enjoy this episode with Chris. All right, guys. So we have my friend Chris with me. How are you doing, Chris? Doing good. Doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. I'm super excited about today's episode. Just to give people a little preview, we're going to dive into some mental health topics. And I just just appreciate you just being so open and honest about this. So so let's just get started. I just want to hear about kind of how you grew up um, and your mindset a little bit. Yeah. So uh, I, I talked to Tara a little bit about this before the podcast started. And I kind of didn't feel like I had anything too exciting to share about my my childhood because I felt like it was um, really positive. I think, um, you know, when you get start talking about like um, mental challenges and mental health, I think people typically think that like the, the, the childhood was like really challenging or they had lots of issues. But for the most part, like my childhood was really like, I mean, really great, really basic. I mean, nothing, nothing um, overly challenging. Yeah. Um, yeah, I grew up uh, Western Washington, um, small town called Longview. I've got an older sister uh, and then a younger adopted sister. Um, I'm I'm right in the middle. Um, incredible parents, incredible like uh, you know raising of of, of my childhood. Um, you know sports and uh, you know hanging out with friends on the weekends and sleepovers and things like that. Yeah. Um, super close family, super close to this day. Extremely supportive. Um, yeah, so. You know, I, for the most part, really, like, really happy, really awesome. happy childhood. So you, do you, would you say growing up that your mindset was pretty positive and optimistic or? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I mean, if, if I think if you were to ask, like, my family, like, probably a really tough kid mm-hmm. um, and uh, definitely, like, probably moody and opinionated and things <laughs> like that. But nothing, definitely positive for sure. I think I've always, for the most part, carried, like, an optimism about the future yeah. or optimism about, you know, what's to come. That's awesome. And so when did you kind of leave home and what did that look like for you? Yeah. So, um, you know, for the most part, childhood, you know, went on like normal. Um, I went to went to high school, did the whole high school thing um, in, you know, 18, uh, ended up moving out of out of uh, out of Longview, looked at a bunch of schools all, all over the Western states and, and really was attracted to Boise. Felt like, you know, Boise was awesome for the Western kind of feel that it had, the, the super outdoor life. And then um, and then obviously the, the, the school, like first time being here was totally, totally enamored by, 
by Boise State and and uh, the environment. I felt like it was awesome. So yeah, I left home when I was 18, and uh, you know, again, like um, wasn't nervous about it. Had you know, moved into college and loved loved the environment in the dorms and in the experience. So really, like at that point, you know, you, you know, zero to 18, like really smooth upbringing, no like yeah. real big hiccups. Nice. And I know you're an entrepreneur, so how did that mindset kind of start? And like, where did that begin for you, would you say? Yeah, so I think my, you know, as a kid, I th- a lot of people would always ask me, like, what, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I think a, a big part of my childhood was um, the emphasis on saving money and taking care of yourself. And, you know, from an early age, my parents were really uh, impressed upon us, the importance of, you know, putting money away and and those kinds of things. And and for the most part, my parents live a very conservative life in the sense that, um, you know, they've 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 been very uh, risk adverse to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so, I think naturally, um, kind of rebelling against that a little bit. I've always had a little bit more interest in taking big risk for big reward. Yep. And so, you know, looking at um, looking at kind of when that entrepreneur kind of feel started. Uh, when I was uh, 19, I had a, f- a friend who, you know, people listen to the podcast might know him, Eric Chatterton, um, went out and was really successful on this crazy job where you went door to door and sold security systems. And, uh, you know, he came back in the summertime after our freshman year of college and had made a bunch of money and was like, hey, man, you should do this. And, uh, you know, my parents were super against it and I was <laughs> super for it. And so that's kind of where it all started was like um, this idea that as a young person, you could go out and separate yourself from everybody else. Um, at an early age, uh, you know, through through doing this crazy, this door-to-door, this thing door-to-door, yeah. Yeah, and when you are at that age, a lot of time people take their parents' uh, influence pretty to heart. So was that something that was easy for you to kind of go against their opinions or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, for the for sure. Like when I started talking numbers to my family about, you know, what, what my friend who was 19 had made in the summertime, they were like, you're absolutely crazy. And, uh, you it's know, like I, too good to be true. For sure. Too good to be true. And, you know, looking back, one of the first things my dad said was like, are you sure he's not like selling drugs or something? <laughs> and so, um, you know, uh, and so that was for sure. They were, they were like, you know, against it in the very beginning. Um, but, uh, you know, I was so, uh, you know, so persistent and was like, Hey, like, I, this is what I'm going to do. And, and I'm going to make it successful. And, and really my whole thing was, you know, I want to do such a good job that, and do so well that my parents are like mind blown. Like yeah. that they're like, they come back and they're like, wow, I had no idea that that was possible. So that was kind of like my mindset was kind of like shock the world, you know, shock them uh-huh. um, and be the outlier that they're impressed with or, or like, uh, you know, proud of type thing. And you did do that. Correct? I did. I did. It was really awesome. You know, my first summer of sales, I made huge money and, and uh, uh, it wasn't definitely wasn't an easy thing, but um, again, like it, it kind of matched my entire, um, you know, what I wanted to do, which was to, to, for them to, uh, you know, I get that little high off of them telling their friends that like, Hey, my son did really well, or, t- you know, my fa- other family members hearing about that. And so, um, yeah, I was successful and it was, it was really good. And it kind of like started this whole thing. So from the age of 20 or 19, I guess, um, it's kind of started this whole kind of, uh, entrepreneur door to door, you know business type mindset. Yeah. And now you've developed that into your own business, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, I've been in the door to door industry now for, um, almost 10 years and that, and I've had several businesses on the side. Um, I owned a dog training company for a number of years. I own a, a small handyman or, or construction business right now. Um, so yeah. And then, and then along with my regular job, but I've, I've looked at or done or played with a bazillion different ideas for different things. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of a part of who I am is always looking for opportunities to, you know, to 
you know, make some money in a unique way or, or to learn something new about um, something that I don't know anything about right now. Yeah, that's awesome. It's so cool that you're just willing to try new things and it sounds like there's not much that would stop you as long as you could be creative with it. Yeah, for sure. I think being creative and just, you know, I look at the things that I'm naturally interested in uh -huh. and, uh, and start there, right? Like there's so many opportunities and areas that people are interested in to, to do something that they love. I think that a lot of people fall into the trap where, um, you know, they kind of get stuck in that nine to five, you know, grind uh, and there's no time for anything, anything else. And maybe they can't quite pinpoint what they want to do. But if you start with, I think your interests and mm -hmm. what naturally gets you up in the morning and you get excited about, or the things you like to do in your spare time and you start there, there's a lot of opportunity for, you know, um, for, you know, making that into a, maybe it starts as a side hustle or a side hobby and can actually develop into something else. And yeah. so that's kind of what this whole thing has been for me. And, and I think I'm ever, ever evolving, right? There's, I, I always think to myself, there's, there's going to be something, there's a, there's a next big thing coming always. Right. So have you been able to find kind of a good work-life balance? Cause I feel like oftentimes, uh, entrepreneurs, they get so obsessed with their idea and they just want to run with it and run with it. So how has that been for you? Yeah, I think, um, I think the biggest thing for me is, is over obsessing. Like, um, you know, I think that there's a natural tendency, the more you get into something to, uh, to spend every waking minute thinking about it. And, um, that's, it definitely takes practice, like learn to detach yourself from it. Um, and I also think too, you know, there's a kind of a diminishing return aspect of, of entrepreneurship and obsessing over things in the sense that, um, you know, you probably have six to seven hour, good hours you can put out mm -hmm. a day to where, you know, anything you're doing at night or, you know, crazy early in the morning to a degree has like that diminishing return effect where it's probably not as good a content you're putting out. It's probably not your best effort. Um, and it's really uh, kind of one of those things where you can weigh it and be like, man, that last three hours that I put in was probably worth, you know, an hour or 30 minutes of, you know, quality time where I'm actually engaged, you know, if I'd done that earlier in the day or yeah. if I had, if I just, it's just, it's just not as time well spent. So yeah, I think that everybody has that tendency to, to do that if you're, if you're not aware of it, but the, the key with the whole thing is being aware of it for sure. Yep. And was that something that you kind of learned through time or did you kind of figure that like know that going into it? No, I mean, for sure. It's something you, you, you tend to learn like, um, and I think it takes having like significant others to like open that up to yourself a little bit, having a significant other where they can see or, or, or somebody that you're close with where they can like actually look at, uh, kind of how you're living your day-to-day -day life and point out some things that, you know, in the moment are, are, uh, are not visible to you mm -hmm. for sure is, um, kind of the key. I mean, I, I don't think anybody goes in and is able to have the self-awareness to, to realize like where, where, you know, maybe they're wasting their time yeah. or, or not spending as good as they could be. We all have our own blind spots and for sure. that's why you need community and people to kind of help point that out to you. Yeah, so. for sure. Absolutely. Nice. Well, let's kind of switch gears and dive into the mental health side of things. Sure. Um, so when was that kind of something that you realized was going to be a part of your life? Yeah. So, um, yeah, mental health. Um, so 2016, 2016, I basically um, started working with the company that I'm with now in 2012 and uh, had had kind of like this in kind of, um, 
I don't know the best way to say it, uh, like a, a really incredible four years. Basically, a kind of a climbing four years where I moved up the ladder extremely fast, like broken company records and had, you know, a ton of success. And really, like the best way to compare it, you know, the industry that I work in is it's kind of like uh, a professional sport in the sense where I kind of came in as like uh, a young athlete that performed at a really high level really fast and uh-huh. broke a lot of records. And so had a lot of like really positive energy and positive attention and um some really awesome moments those first four years and um yeah so like 2016 um it really like kind of hit me like a bolt of lightning and that's the the interesting thing about mental health is i think that most people tend to believe that it's kind of something that people you know experience at a young age and they struggle as you know a teenager because they've got abusive parents or because you know they've got these really hard things that they deal with you know way earlier in their life or whatever but for me it was the exact opposite like i can pinpoint the moment it started like down to the exact minute second when it happened yeah um and it sounds again when even when i say it right now it sounds uh it sounds like again like not anything that would sounds like mental health problems right um but yeah literally for me uh, i was i was watching a tv show with my wife and i had this thought come into my head and um it, it absolutely terrified me it it, it scared scared me like crazy and it it was it was literally watching a murder mystery show and i had this crazy thought like um that 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 kind of overwhelmed me and gave me anxiety and you know that's like when it all started it, it, it i wanted that thought out of my head so badly that it kind of started the cycle where um from for from then on like i was literally obsessively thinking about the same thing day in and day out for years i mean literally years i mean every second of every day you know, there might be something that would distract me for a little bit for like a couple hours where, you know, I'd be doing some activity, but the second it would end, that thought would come right back. And, and, um, to the point where you, I felt so trapped. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, that, that's kind of where it all started. Um, and I think that the, the, the hardest thing for me with, with mental health has been, or, or was, and it's something that I still, still deal with actively, but at least I've, you know, I've kind of learned some of my, uh, some of my techniques to deal with it. But, for me, the biggest thing was, is what I was dealing with, I couldn't, I didn't feel comfortable describing to anybody. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, it kind of first started with spending time online, like Googling things. And you're like looking for like any type of like relief from whatever it is you're dealing with. And so that's kind of where it started. And uh, yeah, I didn't even, I mean, I didn't even tell my, I didn't tell my wife about it for the first, you know, six or eight months. And I was literally in agony day after day after day after day. Um, trying to like figure out what this was I was dealing with. Wow. Do you, was there ever a time that you you realized that you needed to open up to your wife or seek some kind of help? Yeah, so definitely. Like it, basically it wasn't that I was uh, all of a sudden willing to open up. It was that I was in so much pain that like she, like I, I just broke really. Did she see it in you? I, you know, I think, I think if you'd ask her, she'd probably say she did. But at the time, like, the number one most important thing to me was like keeping this to myself. Like that was like the most important thing because, you know, you're, you're so concerned about, again, the topic was so bizarre that um, the thought was that nobody will understand what this is like, or your initial thought is like that no one's ever dealt with this before. Yep. Yeah. And, and again, like I felt like when I was researching, I was like, man, this isn't anxiety. This isn't depression. This isn't, you know, I, I couldn't quite put a pinpoint to it. And that was so disheartening because you feel like, again, you're like, man, if I can't even Google what this means, 
Like, what does that even mean? You it makes know? you just feel even more alone. Like, no one on the internet's even right. feeling this. Right, right, exactly. And you know, it turns out I wasn't Googling the right stuff. But at the time, when you're Googling, you know, again, it feels like a combination between anxiety, depression, and, you know, some type of, like, obsessive thinking. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that that's kind of where it all started. And, yeah, those first six months were brutal because, um, uh, again, you're just, you don't know what to do. And, Again, you don't you don't feel comfortable telling the person's closest to your spouse, yeah. so you're obviously not going to tell your family. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a, a lonely, lonely period. And for me, that didn't change until I was so beaten down that I just broke down. There's no other way to go. Kind yeah, of. for yeah. sure. So once you told your wife, how did that open things up for you and for you able to learn about what you were dealing with? So that's for sure the first step, but that's the first of many steps. Yep. Um, yeah, I told her, and, and even at the time, I wasn't completely honest because I still didn't feel comfortable. I felt comfortable telling her that I was struggling, but not comfortable telling about like, what it was about necessarily. Um, and so, yeah, I talked to her, and that gives like the initial sense of relief, like, okay, at least somebody knows like what I'm dealing with. But that doesn't take away like the obsessive thinking. And so for me, like hugely beneficial that I know I now have somebody in my corner, and that relief lasts for a little bit. But it quickly goes away when, like, you're still struggling with the same stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, again, a huge step in the process, like talking to somebody. That's step number one. But um, that's not – that's it's this, again, it's a step of – one step of many. Yeah. And what was step number two in your journey of it all? Oh, man. Um, so step number one, for sure, like, talking with my wife, like, kind of opening up about it. Step number two, I mean, if I would just look at my own story, like, my – my resi resistance to asking for help mm -hmm. was for sure a handicap. Like I think that people um, people can deal with things in a much quicker way and can get the help and the the relief that they need, but the stubbornness and unwillingness to go reach out for sure was a barrier. And and for me, I was I was so t again I go back to the topic. I was so terrified that like um, you know I would go tell like a therapist and they would you know think either a think like hey we got to get this guy into a hospital like we got yeah. asap like that was one of my biggest fears is that i would tell somebody and they'd be like hey we need to we need to quarantine this guy you know <laughs> you know we need to uh we need to put this guy in, in like a mental hospital right or um you know i'm a big hunter so like oh we, we need to take all his guns or i, I don't know like any of the, all those thoughts are going you just through think your head of the worst in right that situation right exactly anything that could go wrong for sure for sure and um, so yeah, I mean, step one was talking to my wife. Step two was probably for the first time going and seeing a therapist. And, um, you know, for, for, for me, that was, you know, that was a, a step in the right direction. And again, there was like a little relief that was brought with that, mm -hmm. but, uh, it was, it was all temporary, right? Because even once you go to a therapist, for me, I was still not telling them what actually was going on or what I was actually feeling. Um, I was kind of hoping that they would figure it out. Um, <laughs> But I was still holding a lot of things back because, again, there's that fear that, like, what are they going to say to you or what are they going to recommend or, you know, what are they going to put in, like, your file, right? I always thought, like, right. oh, you have this file that's going to go with you for the rest of your life, right? Um, so, yeah, I had a lot of fear about that. So for those first probably eight, 16, 18 months, no, not, not that long, probably, yeah, probably 18 months, I was extremely uh, – extremely reluctant to be honest with really anybody. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I went to a handful of therapists. I mean, I, I think I counted up before I came here to this, this podcast, probably seven different therapists. Yeah. 
because and and you kind of start telling them more and more and more and uh, they're react like again some some therapists are awesome and some are don't know the topics that well or they're 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 newer and so um, yeah you go through a lot of people like trying to figure out you know how much you're willing to share how comfortable you are with them and so yeah it's that was probably step number two. Yeah. Well, in finding the right therapist is like so important. You need to find someone that you can feel comfortable with and that you feel understands what you're going through. Yeah. So I've heard a lot of people that is a process that it's not usually the first therapist you go to is the one that you stick with. Yeah. And, and, and their credentials, right? There's all different levels of like therapists. There's, you know, the, the lowest level being someone that's got like their marriage, uh, their marriage counseling mm-hmm. uh, license all the way up to like a PhD, right? Um, and there's people that have worked in the field for 40 years, maybe who use really traditional methods that maybe are a little outdated. And there's people that are kind of using the newest, you know, the newest techniques. And so it's challenging because as somebody that was obsessing, you know, with, with the topic, which I'll, you know, reveal as OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, with somebody that's dealing with that, you know, a big part of what I'm, I struggle with is, is making sure that it's perfect in the sense that like, I don't want there to be any uncertainty about what I'm doing is not helpful. Right. So a lot of what I spent my time doing was like, you know, once I found a therapist was like, well, what are their credentials? How long have they been doing this? You know, do they even understand my topic? Do they even know what's going on? Right. So it's like that obsessive, like concern that, uh, or, or, um, uh, obsessively being, you know, nervous about the, not having certainty Mm -hmm. that that was a big part of the problem. And, and that's, that was a big, a big struggle for sure. Yeah. So were you able to find a good therapist that was able to help you truly open up and express all of what you were feeling? Yeah. So long story short, um, I moved. So I was in Idaho, um, had a really hard time, could never really found anybody in Idaho. Uh, I moved to Utah for a year for work and lived in Utah. One of the hardest times for sure. Obviously, I wasn't with my friends here in, in Idaho nearly as much, but it was definitely a, a point where it ramped up in a big way. And I was dealing with a lot of these struggles. Um, so finally, I ended up finding... Um, a uh, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder specialty clinic, basically, where, um, you know, I went in and I did an interview with kind of the director and told him kind of what I was dealing with. And he's like, oh, yeah, 100 percent you're dealing with OCD. Like, that's exactly what this is. So that was a little bit uh, that was enlightening for sure. Was that the first time that you had the confirmation that this is what it is? I think so. Yeah, I think it's, I think so for sure. I mean, I had kind of pinpointed it to like, that's what I was dealing with was intrusive thoughts and mixed with kind of some obsessive compulsive tendencies. And uh, so, yeah, that was the first kind of like, okay, this is what it is. And that was, that was good in a lot of ways, but tough in the other ways, because the first thing the guy said is he's like, Hey, I recommend a uh, six to nine week intensive um, partial hospitalization type care. Oh, wow. And and I was like, okay, okay, what does that mean? He's like, well, that means you're going to be here for between six and eight hours a day for six to nine weeks. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that like boggled my mind, right? First off, he used the word partial hospitalization, right? which terrified me Yep. Um, because I'm like, man, there's a, you know, what does that even mean? If you told somebody what that means, they're going to they're going to again think you're like in a mental hospital. Yeah. And like you said, that was already one of your fears originally was right. the hospitalization part. So for sure. That word was probably like very shocking. Yeah. Triggering, right? That's yeah. like the word people use in, in, in OCD or with anxiety is like super triggering where yeah. it takes you from, you know, uh, maybe like a three to like a 10 where you're literally, you know, you're so uncomfortable. And so 
that's what he told me right away. So it's like, you know, and, and then on top of that, it was something like, it's like 1800 bucks a week, something like that. So insanely expensive. It's somewhere in the vicinity of like eight to 10 grand is what it was going to cost. So I'm like, holy crap. Like this is, you know, this is uh, on one side, on my public side, like visibly completely normal with no issues, but privately just like tearing myself apart. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I'm faced, I was faced with kind of like some challenges. Like number one, I got to tell like, my work how do I tell like people that think that visibly you're crushing life that like literally I'm going to go to this clinic for the next six weeks um so that was a big challenge and then number two like okay I got to pay for this that sucks um and then number three to make it even worse the clinic was an hour from my 45 minutes from my house and then another hour back the other direction to work oh my gosh so um finally like it's like man I got to do something so this is what I'm going to do I'm going to give this a shot um, so literally, you know, I had class every morning starting at nine, uh, eight, eight 30 or nine. And that would go until one o'clock. So I didn't do the entire program. I did like a five hour stretch every day, okay. Monday through Friday. Um, but I would leave from my house, drive there. It was like a fifth, 45 minute drive and then go from nine until one and then drive from there an hour to work and, and work from like one until five or six. So I talked to my work and, and fortunately they were, they were understanding and were super, um, even though they didn't understand it at all, they were super willing to, to accommodate. Um, and yeah, I mean like kind of dove in, um, as uncomfortably as possible. Wow. And was, through that program, were you able to learn like coping strategies and how, like, what did it teach you while you were there? A bunch of things. I mean, the very first thing from day one, looking back, like I walked into this room and, you know. I think that anybody that's in my industry or any really guys in general carry themselves, uh, or at least the type, the guys I spend time with, like they pride themselves on a lot of things. And I like walk into this clinic feeling like I'm a success in every avenue of life. I'm like physically normal. And you walk into this clinic and it feels like so different from any other group you've ever been with. Right. There's people that are just struggling and they're, they're, you know, they're, they've had maybe issues their whole life and they've, they're in a bad spot. And, you know, while I think I've got it really bad, there's people that have got it way, way, way worse. I mean, and so that was probably the biggest thing is number one, I had to kind of learn to be extremely vulnerable, which is hard, right? Like when you walk into a class and you're sitting with a group of people that you've never met before and you don't feel like you belong there, like you feel like you're strong as hell and everybody around you, you feel like, I hate to use the word, like, at this point in my life, this is what I was thinking, like, weirdos. They are, like, weirdos compared to me. Yeah. Um, looking back now, like, they're, they're not at all. It's just They're just struggling. Um, but, yeah, you learn to be super vulnerable when somebody starts asking you questions in front of the group and, and you want to be, like, the person that's, like, you know, qu- quiet and not talk because you don't feel like you fit. Um, yeah, it, it was insanely tough. So, yeah, the very first thing was, like, learning to be vulnerable, um, learning to, to – uh, be open to talking about things and and not so uh, judgmental on yourself about or not so concerned about what other people think. Yep. Um, so that was a big big part. Is like that was like step number one was like, man, if I'm really, I mean, I'm paying eighteen hundred bucks a week to be here, so like going in there and just being quiet and sitting in the corner is not going to get you there. Yeah, got to make the best out of it. Yeah, and, and and be really like a champion of your own challenges um, because just because you paid the money and you went to the place that's supposed to help you, like doesn't mean you're gonna get better unless you're participating. Participating. Yeah, it's not just a magic pill that's like, yeah. hey, you, you paid, go yeah, away now. Yeah, exactly. And so for me, that was tough because 
uh, I didn't want to do the work. Like I just wanted to like be better and like get on with my life. And it felt like, it felt like something had changed so dramatically from like the previous 25 years of my life to yeah. where I was at that point that I, uh, it, it, it seemed like a different person. And so, yeah, it was tough for sure. And are you thankful that you went through that program? Do you think it was beneficial to you and your journey? Yeah, it, it was, again, it, this whole thing is pieces, right? Like that didn't solve it, right? That didn't fix it, but it gave me like another piece and connected me to the next part that yeah. like, hell to move on. I met, I met a therapist there, um, who basically how it worked is you'd spend the first like hour and a half as a group doing different exercises. Then you'd break off and you would do what they call exposures. So in OCD, essentially the, the thing that people think or the misconception is, is that it's, um, people that, you know, are afraid of germs or, you know, are, um, you know, um, you know, wash their hands over and over again or like turn the lights rituals. on. Right. And yeah. that is a common one that is there, but there's tons of diff different themes, themes of OCD. So some of them are physical and some of them are, are mental. So, you know, I'd be in class and there'd be people that, you know, had severe problems with germs or concerned about germs. Um, but there'd be a bazillion of other topics. There'd be, you know, young, young kids there that were, um, you know, so obsessed that they were, uh, they were doing things wrong to God, that God was judging them based on their activities. And so they were always, they were obsessing over whether God was okay with what they were doing. There was people there that, um, you know, were, uh, you know, because Utah is such a religious state that they, mm -hmm. they were concerned that, uh, um, you know, this is gonna sound crazy, but pedophilia, like they were concerned about um, that they would see a kid walking down the street and have a sexual thought about that kid and they would just crucify themselves about it, right? And they would obsess all day long that that's not what I want to see. That's not what I want to see. And, and they would just, they would, it, it really is a, is a painful thing. And the, the, you can see like why you would not want to tell somebody that because right. that's, that's their thought. Right. And, and the last thing they want is those thoughts. But if you tell somebody that they're going to think you're, you're crazy or yeah. you're a weirdo or you're, you know, a, you know, a child molester or whatever. Um, there's people that had thoughts about all kinds of crazy things. Um, really any thought that scared them to a degree that, you know, drove that anxiety level up. Um, there's, there's people in there about that struggling. Yeah. Uh, business things. There's guys that there's a guy in there that was uh, a huge business guy. And, you know, his number one concern was that, uh, his business was going to go under and he literally obsessed about it all day long. It could not get out of his head. So wow. all different topics. And so once you completed that program, what was kind of your next step in your journey, would you say? Yeah. So, um, the therapist that was there, um, he was a young guy and, one of my big issues in my previous like seven um, or five or six or however many therapists I've been through at that point was I never wanted anybody young because my idea was like, if you're young, you don't have the knowledge to mm -hmm. deal with this or to help me. And that was the, the, the biggest finding that I was dead wrong, right? Like connecting with a younger guy that was my age was, was the best thing that happened to me. And I think that that's like, if I was to give a piece of advice for somebody who's looking for a therapist is find somebody younger, your age that can relate. Yeah. I spent a lot of time with a guy that was 50 or 60 or 70 and, and their life experience is so different than mine that it's hard to relate. And they're using a lot of times what they learned in their, in college in the seventies yep. and it's changed so much. So yeah, I met this, I met this therapist, um, incredible guy. He, uh, we connected really, really well. Um, he ended up, I, I completed the class, I completed all the courses and things, you know, I think I learned some skills, but I wouldn't say that that was what really did it for me. I would say the, the big helper was spending, you know, after, 
after that clinic was over, um, he, the therapist there, Taylor, he was like, hey, I'm going in, I'm going in working for a different company. Um, if you want to stay my client, I'd love to have you. So anyway, I, I that finished, and I, and I ended up going to him for a number of months after that. Nice. So Awesome. And then where would you say you're at with your journey today? So, um, yeah, I, I think... I think that it's it's a constant constant journey, right? It never ends. But I, I absolutely think that you can find relief to normalcy. Mm-hmm. And for me, I've I've definitely returned back to um, a lot more normalcy in my life. I don't think, like, I think that'll always be a little bit a part of my life. But it's it's returned to a point where I'm comfortable talking about it. Like, I have no problem telling people exactly what I dealt with. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, much less concerned about like the way, what people think about me uh, because of it. Um, and you know, I think I, the biggest thing that I, I could give to anybody is you have to learn to live with uncertainty. Like even my life today, I'll find myself like trying to make things, trying to give myself absolute certainty that whatever I'm doing is going to be the right thing. And you have to live with the fact that you're just never going to know, yeah. right? Like nothing's guaranteed. Um, so I think that that's probably the hardest thing for as a young person growing up with virtually no ailments, physically, mentally, um, in my life in general, is like everything is kind of perfect. And so you don't really ever, I never at least learned to like appreciate some of those things that sometimes now you take for granted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, through that, I kind of was handicapped in that sense that when I started to deal with things that were harder, I wasn't prepared. Um, and so this was a huge, I mean, this was an extremely, extremely tough thing I had to deal with. Or I've dealt with, and I, I was not prepared at all for it. Yeah. So, do you still have intrusive thoughts, and how do you cope with that today? Yeah. No, for sure I do. I mean, I think everybody does. Like, when I say intrusive thoughts, everybody can probably relate. Like, when you're driving down the road, perfect example, you're driving down the road on a highway, and you randomly have that thought, like, what if I just drove the car off the cliff? Right. Yep. Everybody's had that intrusive thought. Right. That's that's what I had all the time, just on you know on topics that made me really really nervous or, or freaked me out, and so. Um, yeah, I, I still do for sure. I think my ability to learn to recognize them for what they are, which is thoughts, yep. um, ha, you know, that's, that takes a long time. And, um, as a person who, uh, has kind of had the mindset that I'll work, I'll push through anything, um, that actually handicapped me in a sense because I was fighting it so hard. I was doing anything I could to fight like the, like fight what I was dealing with. But at the end of the day, I was just dealing with my thoughts. So the harder you work against them, it's like, it's like you, you hear the, the best way to describe it is to say like, Hey, whatever you do right now, don't think of a pink elephant, right? Do not think of that. Do not think of that. Right. That's impossible to do. Right. Yeah. And so I really put a lot of effort into like, I was trying to thought stop, right. Trying to stop my thoughts and it's not possible. You can't do that. So yeah, I think learning to deal with the thoughts and just, um, to be okay with them and know that like, Nothing that I do is going to prevent a thought from coming or a feeling for coming. You just have to learn to, to kind of go with the flow a little bit. Yeah. And there's some really good books that I've read. And, um, yeah, there's some, some, a lot of things. But, you know, the, the story that I'm telling you right now is just a, a small bit of kind of a journey. There's, there's lots of ups and downs. Yeah. And times where I thought, you know, I figured it out. or that, that was probably one of the most common things is you think you figured it out and only to, like, run into another roadblock. And so kind of a hallmark of OCD is changing your daily life habits or changing your starting to pray a lot or going to church a lot or getting super healthy or or changing your diet in an effort to fix whatever you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't it, right? Like learning to accept what it was and be okay with it and being okay with uncertainty is what 
is like is like that's that's like your your antidote yeah that's awesome and just like you said just being mindful of the situation that sure. this might be something that you will have to deal with your whole life but that's okay sure. and just r- remaining present and what you're doing i think is so important so yeah no question i think you see uh, again and, and uh, it's always good to humble yourself to to realize like man there's some people out there that have got it really really hard and they are they maintain like you know really good happiness and probably one of the biggest things that you start learning is like people are ha- are happy in every avenue of life people with no legs people with no eyes um, people with that are on death row like people that um, you know are terminally ill like people maintain happiness at that level so so why can I not figure this out yeah right um, so yeah I think I think happiness is for sure one of those things where people try to chase it but it's really kind of the absence of chasing that that kind of brings you happiness yeah well Chris thank you so much for just opening up like we talked about I just think it's so important to have these types of conversations because everyone goes through their own journeys and their own stories that you don't know about it until you open up about these topics you know people just they look at people's Instagrams or think that they know someone's story without really diving in deep and the way that we're only going to learn and find out about others and relate to people is by opening up so Just thank you so much for being open and vulnerable about this topic. Yeah, absolutely. So just to wrap up a little bit, we're just going to move on to the countdown question game. Um, The four, three, two, one, just give you a few questions. So we'll start with the fast four. Would you pick more money or more time? Uh, More time. I think that initially 100% I would choose more money, but more time for sure now. I think once... Once you get to that point is when exciting things can happen in life is like when you choose more time. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, are you a music or a podcast kind of guy? Podcast for sure. Nice. Morning or evening person? Uh, morning. Yep. And then pancakes or waffles? Mm. Uh, let's go with both. <laughs> <laughs> Not picky. Same. Um, the thoughtful three. Do you have a life motto or a quote that you live by? Uh, yes, two. Uh, giving up what you want now for what you want most um so that's kind of the idea of like sacrificing what's right in front of you for the end goal i think that's huge i think that uh, most people lose their way because of consistency in mm-hmm. life and consistency for sure is given up when there's something sexy right in front of your face yep. so that's the first one. Second one is uh once once your mind expands it can't return to its original dimensions and uh, i love that one because it talks about it's it kind of focuses on the idea idea of thinking bigger and for myself like now that i know all the things that i've been through i can't go back to what i was in the mental health space like things could always slip right but my knowledge and my understanding of kind of my mental health journey will you know i'll never start at, at square one again like i'll have my resources in place yeah so yeah i like that one a lot that's awesome um if you can meet one person dead or alive who would it be dead or alive I'm going to go with, I enjoy history a lot. I'm going to go with Abraham Lincoln. Nice. Uh, and then what was the last time you were outside of your comfort zone? Oh, man. I think I think uh, if you're doing things right, you're constantly putting yourself outside your comfort zone. Yep. Um, I think that, I mean, as I'm sitting here, like anytime I talk about, you know, these types of topics, like it's always going to, it's never going to be comfortable. So uh, I would say right now, but um, really like, on a daily basis, I'm trying to do something that makes me uncomfortable. That's awesome. I love that. Um, top two. Who are top two most positive person, inspirations, influences in your life? Um, I mean, I would for sure say my family. Um, that, that's a lot of people, obviously. But I would I would group my entire family. I mean, they're extremely uh, dedicated, consistent, 
um, hardworking and value-driven people. Yep. So I would say that for sure. Um, I'd probably leave it at that. Probably probably family, and then there's there's coworkers that I have that are, you know, incredibly talented people, and they're they're positive amongst, uh, you know very unpositive situations yeah. so yeah that's helpful to be surrounded by those kind of people definitely so. um and then final question what is one positive act you can challenge yourself and others to do today one positive act that i can challenge myself and others to do i think um right now like we're we're in boise and boise in the last um you know two years has struggled with a homeless population i think that right now like there's there's thoughts that uh unemployment rates could move to 30% potentially, which would be the highest it's ever been. So I think right now you're going to see over the next two to three weeks to a month, there's going to be some people that are out homeless. So yep. I, something so simple as, as just saying hi, like asking somebody how they're doing. Um, you know, I think uh, as simple as, you know, if you're driving somewhere and you see somebody, if, if you're comfortable, obviously, ask them if they need a ride. Like that's something so simple you can do that you might take somebody uh, half a mile and, and that just changed their day. So yeah, simple. Love that. Well, like I said, Chris, thank you so, so much. I just really appreciate you opening up and being honest. And yeah, just had a great time. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. How great was that episode? I really had a ton of fun with it because Chris is actually one of our really good friends that we spend quite a bit of time with. So I thought I had a pretty good understanding about who he was and kind of what his life is like. But I just thought it was so awesome how he was able to be so vulnerable about these topics because I know that is not easy. And it just goes to show that you might think you know someone, you might have a friend that you think you know, but unless you ask these kind of questions or dive deep with people, you just don't know the full story and everything that they've experienced. So I just encourage you guys to talk about deeper topics and to talk about what you're going through because it just helps to make everybody feel like you're not alone. If you guys have any questions for Chris, you can always find him on Instagram at Chris Malink. Regardless, just I encourage everyone to keep having conversations with people, whether it's friends, family, loved ones. People just, they feel so alone. And that's just because we don't have these deep conversations. The more we talk about it, the better it is for everyone. So keep talking and keep providing positivity, guys, because I truly think it's contagious. So let's just get out there and spread it. Love you guys. Hey friends, thanks so much for sticking around and listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. I'd love to hear what you enjoyed, what topics you'd like to hear, and it would really mean a lot to me. Episodes will be released every Wednesday, and you guys can also find me on Instagram at Positive Perspectives Podcast. Thanks guys, and tune in next week for another dose of positivity.